You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash dave for a seven-day free trial. Hey everyone, it's Dave Asprey with Bulletproof Radio. Today's cool fact of the day is that if you're someone who has a really great sense of direction, uh, even in places where you've only been once before, your brain may be a little bit different. It turns out that different nerve cells in your hippocampus are activated in different locations, so your brain is basically drawing maps of where you are through your nerve cells. Those grid cells function as your brain's GPS, and they're impacted when someone has a stroke or develops Alzheimer's. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words, What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's guest, it's a great honor to have him on. He's widely regarded as one of the world's foremost experts in using brain imaging to everyday clinical practice nine times New York Times bestselling author, founder and CEO of Amen Clinics, and someone who actually is responsible for me being a biohacker today. I'm talking about uh, Dr. Amen. Uh, Dr. Amen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. So nice to be with you. Uh, Dr. Amen, the reason I say that you're, uh, uh, you're responsible for me being a biohacker today is that more than a dozen years ago, I read your very first New York Times bestseller, <laughs> and I said, this is interesting. 
I went out and I found uh, a, someone who trained with you for many years, and I ordered a spec scan, which is the type of brain imaging that you've used thousands and thousands of times to get a better understanding of what's going on in the brain. And what I found was my, my brain was kind of in bad shape, but it meant that there was something I could work on. And without having the idea that says, oh, look, I can change the metabolism, which will change the function of my brain, I would have just felt like, oh, it's just because I'm weak or because I'm not trying hard enough, and I would have kept doing what didn't work. So having a picture of my brain really did change my brain and ultimately changed my life. So, so first, thank you. You are welcome. You've also been a speaker at the Bulletproof Conference, and uh, you're featured in Moldy, the documentary that's coming out on June 4th, uh, which is uh, really exciting because you talked about the effect specifically of toxins on the brain. And I had a chance to do a follow-up brain scan with you just, uh, just last week. So I was down in your offices, and I was, I was really pleased that my brain scan looks very different now than where it did before. And when I, was, when I had my first scan done, I didn't know it, but I was living in a house that had substantial amounts of environmental toxic mold, a very likely stachybotrys, which is one of the worst ones. Uh, are you okay with, uh, with sort of mentioning what my brain looked like? I, I'm, I'm okay if you say that it looked, if you had a description that it looked like someone who'd been using uh, some sort of drugs or something. Do you remember kind of what you were saying there? I do. It looked toxic. Uh, I mean, it's the first thing I saw. Uh, that your brain had really low activity compared to a healthy brain in a pattern that we often see either in drug addicts or people who are exposed to environmental toxins or people who have an infection. I mean, there was clearly something not right with your brain. And the scans always teach us to ask better questions, which is, why does it look like that? And if you're telling us you're not doing drugs and your wife backs that up, because sometimes drug addicts lie, <laughs> then we really have to go after and find out why does it look like that. I, I, was, uh, I was kind of blown away because no one's ever said, oh, you had the brain of a heavy drug user, even though I wasn't using any drugs at the time. And the thought of using drugs at the time is abhorrent because I could barely keep going. Um, when I had that scan done, though, I was getting my MBA at Wharton while working full time at a startup. Uh, that ended up selling for a value of, of around $600 million. I, I was successful in my career, barely. <laughs> uh, absolutely not successful in my relationships and successful in school, barely. And when I, I saw that picture I, at the time, it was like, oh, great, at least I can work on something. Now I, I know that I have hope. But to hear a dozen years later, your take on that is like, you look like you're a heavy duty drug user. My whole life, I thought, oh, it's just because I'm, I'm weak. It's because I'm not trying hard enough. And I was applying all this effort that was to fight against a toxin that I didn't see that was in the walls of my house, basically. How common is that? Like, how often do you see some sort of toxicity? Not, I'm not talking drug users, but, but people who are, are poisoned by something in their environment that affects their brain. Is it common or uncommon in your practice? It's very common, especially for people who are not getting better. And uh, it's why I got hooked on imaging, because... I mean, you could come and you could say, you know, I have trouble with my focus and my mood's not good. And most psychiatrists would, you know, do a checklist with you and go, oh, you have depression. Oh, you have ADD. Oh, it's your character. And <laughs> um, 
give you psychotherapy or medication, all of which could hurt you if they don't really understand the cause. So without looking, we don't know. By looking, it causes us to try and find out why. I mean, you got to ask yourself, why does the psychiatrist know anything about mold? They didn't teach me one thing uh, in medical school or during my psychiatric residency. But as soon as I started seeing toxic brains in people who I believed were not using drugs, I'm like, well, why is that? And uh, actually, it was a woman uh, in Northern California uh, who came in and just the nicest woman, she had a toxic brain. And that's when we discovered she had mold in her house. And when she moved out and we rehabilitated her brain, she just felt so much better. So you've been doing this now since 1989. So that's roughly pushing on almost 20 years now of doing brain imaging and, and running across, across this. How does the brain imaging that you use work? So someone who hasn't read any of your, your nine New York Times bestsellers and your latest book about ADD, what, um, can, can you just sort of walk us through how SPECT works and then how you would apply that to, to say, hey, here's how you could work better? So um, I went to a lecture on brain SPECT imaging in 1991, and it just radically changed everything I did. SPECT is a nuclear medicine study. It looks at blood flow and activity. It looks at how your brain works. It's different than a CAT scan or an MRI. Those are anatomy studies. They show what the brain actually physically looks like. Um, SPECT looks at function. And so if you just think about a car engine, if you pop the hood, an MRI or a CT will show you, well, this is what the engine actually looks like. SPECT is like turning it on and seeing how it actually works. And it basically tells us three things about the brain, healthy activity, um, so good activity, too little or too much. And then my job becomes understanding why it is the way it is and then balancing it. So if it's too low in your case, then we gotta go, well, why is it too low trauma, toxins, infections, uh, and now let's rehabilitate it. And, you know, if you think about how do you, you know, I like orchids if, uh, if, and have them in my office. If the orchid was damaged, either by toxins in the soil or a storm, um, what do you do? Well, the first thing you do is you stop the toxins. You get rid of the toxins, and then you give it the highest quality uh, nutrients, air, water possible so that it can heal. So you have to put the brain in a healing in, environment. But without looking, quite frankly, you don't know. You don't know, is it a toxin? Is it a head injury? Does their brain work too hard or not hard enough? And so we've now done 110,000 scans <laughs> on people from 111 countries. And I just, I love it because I like getting my patients better fast. Um, a big criticism of me when I was a child psychiatry fellow, so my supervisor loved me, but he said Dr. Amen's biggest problem is he wants people to get better fast. <laughs> uh, so I'm just not that patient, because uh, I know if I was suffering, I wouldn't want to be three years on a psychiatrist's couch. I, I would like go, so let's find it and fix it. I have this bias for action. But if I don't look, then I'm flying 
blind. And, and I like to say a picture is worth a thousand words, but a map is worth a thousand pictures. And that's what we do with SPECT. We map your brain and a map tells you where you are. So when you first came to us, it's like, okay, your brain is not in a good place. And it gives you the pathway to teach you where you want to go. And so what I'm so excited about your map is it was really trouble uh, when we started, but now it's much better. And I'm just so excited about that. I was too. And I, I didn't plan on talking to you specifically about my, my brain map there. And in fact, I'll, I'll take a screenshot of it. I, I think I have to get the digital version from you or, or some, some of that, but I'll actually post my before and after uh, on the blog so people can see like what a radical transformation getting rid of toxins from your environment and from your food and eating enough fat for your brain and, and all those things where you and I are I think pretty aligned I'm sure there's some some differences in in small nuanced things but directionally um, we're both like uh, could you get the good stuff in um, are you are you in a position to talk about that new sort of uh, you gave me a case of something special at your office? Uh, um, are, are, can we talk about those yet? Those coconut things? Oh, of course. <laughs> All right. So so let's use those as an example because you have these amazing chocolate coconut things that are, are I actually ate almost the whole case. My kids only got one. Um, so this is just a great example of how you formulated this amazing. I don't know if you call it a treat or a bar. But it's almost all fat. Why do you make something like that that's almost all fat? And what's it called? It's a really cool name, but I'm forgetting that. Brain on? Joy. Brain on joy. Okay. So we have uh, just a chocolate one called Brain in Love. And you got to, you know, so why is a psychiatrist making chocolate bars? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a symbol of abundance. That getting well is never about deprivation. Um, you got to shift your mind. It's abundance of the right things that serve your health that can also taste amazing. And the whole low-fat craze, that was a mistake. 60% uh, of the solid weight of your brain is fat. And low cholesterol levels have actually been associated with homicide, suicide, and depression. That cholesterol is not the problem. Uh, that it's sugar and it's high inflammatory diets. And in uh, knowing what I know about your work, I mean, we're very aligned. Um, and basically, like with the orchid, you want to stop poisoning it and only give it nutrients that serve its health. And so I really think of uh, high healthy fat, not all fat is good yeah, for you, yeah. so high healthy fat, um, low glycemic, high fiber carbs, so carbs are not the enemy, it's bad carbs that are the enemy, um, colorful foods, not Skittles, but uh, <laughs> foods with many different colors because they have huge antioxidant support, and protein at each meal because protein helps stabilize blood sugar levels, and when your blood sugar goes low, blood flow to the brain goes low, and then you have more, make more bad decisions. Did you just say so, that, that having blood sugar in the brain is good for you? Having high blood sugar levels is associated with brain atrophy. Right. And um, 
we want to stabilize your blood yeah. sugar. Um, but when blood sugar levels go too low, blood flow to the brain goes low and then people make bad decisions. So if you have problems with an addiction and you don't want to relapse, you have to eat healthy food <laughs> often enough so that you don't get hungry because that is associated with, with relapse. There's this whole trend where, where we demonize something. Like, like okay, sugar is bad, and generally eating sugar is not a good choice. But that doesn't mean that having some blood sugar in your body is a bad thing. You die without it, and just like you said, you make you make worse decisions when you don't have enough brain fuel. And, and so this has been a, a large part of, of the more recent talks I've given has been around, like, where does willpower come from? If you have no energy in the brain, whether from sugar or from fat, like you you don't like what happens and if you had you know a kale salad with a fat-free dressing for lunch you simply don't have enough sugar or calories to fuel your brain and it's no wonder you're going to be a little bit cranky uh, do you do you actually see them on brain scans if someone's really hungry does their brain look different if you know if they they've been fasting for a few days or uh, is they're just calorically deprived or uh, are too low in blood sugar yeah there's actually an interesting uh, people are around the net and actually in some very popular books talking about how important fasting is. And I'm not a fan. I'm a fan of routine, of doing really great things for your brain. Because when you fast and your blood sugar goes low, people are just more likely to make bad, bad decisions. But sugar, on the other hand, um, are high sugar diets. Because you know, when they took the fat out of food, they replaced it with sugar. Right. And diabetes has skyrocketed. And one of the big things we've learned is that even high normal blood sugar levels, so blood sugar is normal between 65 and 100. But they found that people who are up closer to 100 had brain atrophy and it accelerates brain aging. So I like your blood sugar around 85. I think oh. that's um, healthy for you. And one of the things we should talk about is if you really want to keep your brain healthy as you age, you should never have normal labs. You should have optimal <laughs> labs. See, neither you or I or most of the people watching have ever wanted to be normal yeah. or in the middle of our classes or the bottom of our classes. And so I'm always thinking about what's the optimal range of vitamin D, blood sugar, cholesterol, um, C-reactive protein, because I, I don't want you normal, because quite frankly, normal is sick. Um, 80, if you live to 85 or beyond, 50% of people will have Alzheimer's disease. That's normal, and I want no part of that. Uh, we're going to call that out in, in quotes on the screen when you say that, because normal is not good. And the whole point of, of Bulletproof Radio, we've had more than 200 episodes, I like to interview people who are experts in not being normal and, and people who are all about superhuman performance. And now I want to ask you, okay, I, I came in because I basically hit the wall. Like my brain won't work anymore. I can feel something's wrong. But have you ever had someone like a, an Olympic athlete, a, a top, someone who's a, a CEO of a Fortune 500 company or someone come in who's doing pretty well? Like, okay, you know, I, I like my life. Like, like I, I'm abundant, I'm high performance, I'm helping lots of people, you know, I'm strong, I'm well. When you scan a brain of someone who's already a super high performer, what do you often find? Like, is there something to find or, or are they just kind of perfect brains and that's why they're performing well? 
Um, well, I have a whole group of incredibly beautiful brains, and it generally goes with their life. That they exercise, but not too much, which is a really <laughs> interesting thing. My extreme athletes usually do not have healthy brains. Um, they eat well. They're not smoking. They're not. They don't really think of alcohol as a health food. Um, you know, maybe they have anywhere from two to four glasses a week, but not two to four glasses a day. Um, and uh, th their habits. Uh, generally reflect the health of their brain. So aging is more about actions than chronological years when it comes to the brain. When someone with one of these beautiful brains comes to you, they have a beautiful brain, a beautiful life, are there tweaks that, that they can do to get even more brain performance? Or are they already so absurdly high that, that really is kind of like, well, there's not much to be done here? Well, no, there's always tweaks. We can always do better. I actually have a new program called The Brain Warrior's Way. Uh, and the, the reason for the title is because I've just come to deeply believe we're in a war for the health of our brain. Nearly everywhere we go, someone's trying to shove bad food down our throat, a toxic thought in our head, hook us to a gadget that will distract us from meaningful relationships. And if you have the mindset of a warrior, which means, it doesn't mean you're fighting, you know, most successful warriors never fight. Uh, it's because they plan, they're aware, they know who who is friend and who is foe. Um, and, and it really, it takes that mindset. Uh, so most of us can be tuned up. My favorite example of an incredibly beautiful brain happens to be my mother's. So, in 1991, when I started scanning people, I got so excited about the technology, I scanned everybody I knew. <laughs> a friend who had temper problems, I scanned a cousin who had suicidal thoughts, uh, an aunt who had a panic disorder. And then after I'd done, I don't know, maybe 100 scans or so, I scanned my mother and she just had a drop-dead perfect brain. It was irritating, quite frankly. <laughs> Because I had scanned myself and it wasn't nearly as good. And, and I looked at her when I showed her her perfect brain and I said, you ruined my life. And she got this pouty look on her face and she said, why? What do I do? I said, you have a very unusual, healthy brain. And I sort of thought all women, because, you know, she's my model for women. I thought all women would be like you. And, you know, none of the, you know, my wife at the time wasn't and um, the women I dated weren't. And I'm just like, what's the matter with me? And it wasn't me. It's I had the fortune and the misfortune of being raised by a woman who was, you know, had a beautiful brain, but the most consistently reliable, predictable, loving, flexible person on the planet who was just incredibly supportive. And I'm like thinking everybody's supposed to be like her when she was an outlier, not the norm. So, you know, after I got divorced years later, I started scanning the people I would date looking for that most perfect brain. And thankfully I found Tana, my wife who does a lot of work with me, uh, who had a brain that was beautiful. So if, if you saw two different people's brains, could you predict whether they get along? Yes. <laughs> that is fascinating. You ever thought of doing like the brain dating service? 
Well, actually, it's funny because uh, we did a study called the Couples from Hell study, which is we scanned 500 couples who failed marital therapy but still wanted to be together. And it's like, oh, my goodness. Um, and after the first one, I thought of doing brainmatch.com uh, as a way to see, you know, this person's more likely to go with that person. Uh, you know, our... And, and that's actually very important. You know, if you date my daughter for more than four months, you get scammed. <laughs> I want to know the health of your brain. And, and it's not to discriminate against people, but, you know, if you're drinking too much, I want to know that. Uh, you just, if you just you're, made your daughter's dating life like, absolute hell. <laughs> no, no, both of them are married. Oh, there you go, okay. You know, I have four grandchildren, and both of their husbands are into brain health. In fact, my son-in-law, Jesse, wrote a book called Change Your Brain, Change Your Life for Under 25. So he wrote the high school version of my big book. And he opens it with this scene in my office where he says, even though I'm a foot taller than Dr. Amen, I never felt smaller. Um, (laughs) And he talks about the experience with the scan. And it was, uh, it's powerful. Uh, When you see your brain, you start, to care about it, and that is really the beginning of wisdom. I got a profound sense of control when, when I first saw my brain. Um, before I had a scan, uh, a spec scan through your clinic, I started looking at my brain with an EEG machine. I've had my own EEG, a primitive one at home since about 1997. And I, I was always interested in ways of using that to, to perform better and just to be more self-aware. Uh, but that didn't have the same level of um, of awareness tied to it, especially with the the type of feedback I was I was doing, uh, compared to actually seeing the image, like what's what's it doing, what's it not doing, and and to me, knowing that when I was trying to focus and pay attention, that that in my first scan there was essentially no metabolic activity in my prefrontal cortex, like the most recently evolved frontal part of the brain that sort of makes a human, like so I'd sit there on tests and just fail. The more I try to concentrate, the less metabolic activity I had. But to see that as like, oh, it's a hardware problem. Uh, like if your car, the engine is making noises, you don't think you're a bad person. But if your brain is failing the way a car engine does, you actually do think that it's because you're stupid or because you're weak. Uh, and so seeing the brain uh, just laid out in full color like that is is transformative. Just having that one time of seeing it and then to be able to apply that to a relationship, I think, is is profoundly interesting. In fact, I'm... I'm sending my wife down to get scanned as well so we can compare our brains. We'll, we'll see what you think. It's one of the biggest. Uh, so it would be fun to look at you guys as a couple because as you balance your brain, you care more about her brain and hopefully you'll care about each other's brains and then people get along better. Um, one, one of the most important things I learned early on is if your brain deactivates when you try to concentrate, What that means, and that's what happened with you, the harder you try, the worse it gets. And uh, it didn't happen with you, but it happens with a lot of people. They get demoralized, and then they give up because they try and it doesn't work. They try and it doesn't work. They try and it doesn't work. And then they say to heck with it, and they stop trying. And other people, when that happens, is they do sort of nutty things to turn it back on whether it's jumping out of planes or speeding in cars or um, doing high-risk behaviors. And so a lot of entrepreneurs have that uh, issue. Um, 
and it can be helpful, uh, but it can also be hurtful because they may take risks that are not necessarily great for them. And so balancing your brain just becomes critical to business success, relationship success, and managing your own health. People don't know, but um, people have untreated ADD. So ADD goes with this deactivation pattern in the front part of the brain, triple the risk of Alzheimer's disease, a higher risk of obesity, a higher risk of uh, drug and alcohol abuse, a higher risk of financial ruin, uh, job failure, and so on. And so balancing your brain, especially in that most human thoughtful part of your brain, the prefrontal cortex, uh, becomes essential to having the most effective life. And as you and I talked about, if you can take someone who's just incredibly bright and just give them 5% you know, better activity, I mean, that can literally mean not only millions of dollars, but dramatically more good you can do in the world. Uh, that that's one of the reasons that I I'm grateful that I get a chance to work with high performing entrepreneurs with uh, with bulletproof stuff. And I, I don't do a lot of, of personal one on one coaching. And when I do, it's usually someone who's going to absolutely kick ass. And and I'll actually tell them, um, go go see Dr. Amon, get a brain scan. We'll tell them, you know, pay attention to your brain, do these things that increase resilience. Because if, if you're one of those people who's out there to change the world uh, for the better, man, just uh, two more octane in your in your gas in your car if you go from 89 to 91 and you're going up a hill you can feel the difference and it's it's just a little a little thing but it's when you're a high performer you're so many standard deviations away from normal that adding just one percent more when you're already running at 99 percent puts you at in just a whole nother a whole nother standard deviation away from everyone else and it lets you have so much leverage on your day and on your relationships and it, it's changed my ability dramatically and, and you see it in the stuff that i write and in the stuff that i do so i'm i'm, uh, I'm really profoundly grateful that that you've you've kind of fought the fight for spec and, and want to ask you specifically about when you first started doing this, people said this this scan doesn't matter, and now you've got a hundred plus thousand scans. You you've uh, you've been called the most popular psychiatrist in America by the Washington Post. So you you held the line, and I think you've you've basically legitimized the spec scan as this amazing tool. Whereas when you first started, I think it was a little bit fringy. What made you stick to your guns uh, the way you have? And and I'd say you've won at this point, but. What what gave you that motivation, that drive? Like, how did you do that? It, it, it was hard. I mean, still sometimes it's hard. Our big goal, so our uh, WIG, our wildly important goal, is to change how psychiatric medicine is practiced by 2024. And, you, you know, we have no doubt the fight's not over. Um, but just this week, I'm pretty excited uh, we got a paper accepted for publication on over 20,000 subjects where we can separate people who've been emotionally traumatized, post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD, from people who've had traumatic brain injuries. And it's a huge distinction yeah. because the treatments are very different. So if you think of the 500,000 soldiers who came back from Iraq and Afghanistan, many of them had emotional trauma, many of them had physical trauma. If you don't get the diagnosis right, you'll actually hurt them. Uh, but initially I was just like so excited. When I graduated from medical school, um, I wasn't really thinking about the brain. 
I wanted to be a really good psychiatrist because I fell in love with psychiatry um, and a writer. I wanted to teach people about what other people were finding out uh, because that's one of my gifts is to make complicated things simple. And in 1991, when I started ordering scans, I had 10 cases in a row where the scans changed what I did with my patients eight times out of 10. And I'm like, whoa, how do I know unless I look? I mean, that was, you know, this idea I had in my head. How do I know if I don't look? Is the brain toxic? Is it traumatic? No end of grief from my colleagues. Psychiatrists don't do that. It's not the standard of care. I got investigated by the California Medical Board. Uh, and, and at the end, they went, he's looking. He's not, not doing anything wrong. But I mean, it was not a fun year. By the, but just just a little comment there. Almost every California-based doctor that I know and respect has been investigated by the California Medical Board. It's a sign of it's like a badge of honor from where I sit. Same thing. If you've ever been listed on Quack Watch, I want to talk to you because you're probably good. Like there's some yeah, some things that just don't help. Too. Oh, did they? <laughs> they got sued. They're they're they've been discredited so much now. It's funny. Um, but I mean, the passion story. Yeah. Uh, came in 1995. Okay. I got a call late one night. So, I mean, I'm in a war with my colleagues. I'm being called a charlatan, yeah. a snake oil salesman, and I don't like it because I went into medical school to help people, and now I'm being diminished and belittled, and I didn't like it. Uh, so I stopped talking about my work for about a year, and then... Um, my sister-in-law, Sherry, called me at 10 o'clock one night and told me my nine-year-old nephew, Andrew, attacked a little girl on the baseball field for no reason out of the blue. And he's my godson. And I'm horrified by this. And I'm like, what else is going on with him? And she said, Danny, he's different. He's mean. He doesn't smile anymore. I went into his room today and found two pictures that he had drawn one of them, he was hanging from a tree. Whoa. So he was killing himself. The other picture, he was shooting other children. So if you think about it, in his head, he's really Columbine, Aurora, Sandy Hook waiting mm -hmm. to happen. And But based, you know, I'd already scanned hundreds of people at that point. I went, Sherry, you have to bring him to my office tomorrow. And so they drove eight hours to come see me. And when I sat with Andrew, I said, sweetheart, what's the matter? And he said, Uncle Danny, I don't know. I'm mad all the time. I said, is anybody hurting you? He said, no. I said, is anybody teasing you? He said, no. I said, is anybody touching you in places they shouldn't be touching you? He said, no. And my first thought was to scan him. My next thought was, you want to scan everybody. You know, maybe it's a psychological problem, but then logic took over my brain. Nine-year-olds don't randomly attack other people for no reason. No. And when I scanned him, what I found is he had a cyst the size of a golf ball occupying his left temporal lobe. So he was actually missing the space in his scan that where his left temporal lobe should be. It's the first time I'd seen it. I've seen it 43 times since. And the left temporal lobe is an area of the brain involved in violence. And um, when I got somebody to take it out, and I had a hard time finding someone to drain it, um, his behavior completely went back to normal. 
Where do you think he would be today if you hadn't have done that? He'd be dead. Yeah. Or he'd be in jail. Yep. Um, he'd have hurt somebody. But, I mean, I know what he would have been because the neurosurgeon that drained it said, and, and I had multiple neurologists said they wouldn't do it anything with it. They didn't think it was involved in his behavior. God. And I, and I was furious. Uh, but Dr. Lazareff at UCLA uh, when he operated on him, he said, oh, my God, I'm so glad you sent him to me because the cyst had put so much pressure on his brain that it actually thinned the bone over his left temporal lobe. And if he would have been hit in the head with the basketball, it would have killed him instantly. Either way, he would have been dead in six months. And that was my passion moment because after that, quite frankly, I don't care if you think I'm a charlatan. <laughs> I'm not. I think if you don't look at the brain of your patients, I mean, what is that? There is no other <laughs> medical specialty that doesn't look at the organ it treats. It's wrong and it hurts people. And, you know, and sometimes when I tell Andrew's story, I'll, I'll just start crying because I think of all the people in jail yeah. who've yeah. done really bad things who have bad brains and we're judging them as bad when they could be balanced. I mean, how many people do you think are in jail because they've been exposed to mold and now they just, they don't have the mental reserve, the brain reserve to make good decisions. And then we punish them and sending people to jail. I mean, let's be clear about this. It's not rehabilitation. No, it's no. vengeance. Yep. And I, I mean, you know, if you're okay with vengeance, then you're okay with it. But, you know, quite frankly, almost everybody who goes to jail goes home. And don't you want to rehabilitate them so that they can take care of their families, have meaningful jobs, and pay taxes? So I actually think it's the most conservative uh, approach to people who do bad things then, you know, because some people go, oh, that's such a liberal idea. And I'm like, I want people to pay taxes so we can afford you know, roads. Yeah. <laughs> roads, right. <laughs> so I, I've thought this for a long time. I, I fundamentally believe that, that when people are actually in charge of their own biology, that, that we're wired to do nice things, uh, to, to be kind to other people. And that, that there are things like traumas and toxins and, and emotional and physical trauma uh, that, that get in the way of that. But if, if you ended up in jail, either there's a corrupt government involved, like, like the guy in Arizona who was basically selling kids to the, the privately owned jail, or uh, more likely there's something going on with your brain. But instead of looking at that and saying, you know, we're going to offer you a custom-tuned diet that's going to change your behavior so you stop wanting to kill people, or we're going to look at your brain and see what's going on in there and help you know what's going on and then fix it so that you're rehabilitated not by, you know, lifting up heavy rocks or sitting in solitary confinement for a year, uh, but just so that when you get out, you just won't do it again because it's annoying when you do it again. Like it hurts other people and it costs us money. And to this day, I, I do not understand um, why we've ended up where we are other than some mean-spirited, uh, kind of the same sort of thing that, that says, instead of saying, I question your science, the, the same kind of personality that says, you're a, a charlatan, you're a snake oil salesman, which is a personal attack which is actually a sign that their brain is dysfunctional instead of saying, I don't agree. I think that the scan doesn't work or whatever else, which is what actual scientists do. So there's this like mean, spiteful, angry stuff going around that's counterproductive for everyone. Is there something that you could predict is in the brain of the vengeance focused 
you know, personal attack takedown kind of perspective? Like, is this an overactive amygdala? Like, could we predict what these people are like? So I actually, when I after I started doing imaging, uh, I found new words for asshole. Uh, so if your left amygdala is low functioning or erratically functioning, you've got a short fuse. Um, the haters yeah. often have frontal lobes that work too hard, especially in an area called the cingulate gyrus. Yeah. It's the part of your brain that helps you shift attention, helps you go from thought to thought, move from idea to idea, be flexible, go with the flow. When it works too hard, usually due to a deficit in serotonin, people get stuck on negative thoughts or negative behaviors. Now, they may have obsessive compulsive disorder or they just may be rigid. And if it's not their way, then you're wrong. And so they, you know, repeat in your head, in their heads over and over again, um, you know, he's a jerk, he's a jerk, he's a jerk, he's a charlatan, whatever. And even given the evidence, they don't care yeah. about it. And it's irritating, I think. And, and I think it's one of the reasons in the Middle East that people can't get along because the chronic trauma has reset their brain and they can't properly negotiate so millions of people can have happier lives. It's that hatred and my way or the highway uh, that just devastates millions of lives. As the, the former owner of an overactive cingulate gyrus that was in my first brain scan and was not in my most recent one, yeah, everything you just said, you do get stuck on those negative thoughts. And I used to do that. I, I tell people, no, really, I used to be a serious jerk. And they don't believe me because I'm not a jerk anymore. Uh, but I was. And that was very likely from your description, one of the contributing factors. I think I had like six or seven other brain pathologies listed because I was not in a good place. And uh, so if, if we were to, to look at, uh, we'll call them the, the haters uh, online or offline, it doesn't really matter. Uh, when we assume, okay, maybe they have an overactive cingulate gyrus. Uh, there's another study I, I came across a while back that said that they were three times more likely to be diagnosed with senile cognitive dementia later in life. This was actually just around like people who are overall like extreme cynics, you know, kind of the, the, the glasses half empty everywhere. Um, do you think that there's a correlation with senile cognitive dementia? Uh, we already talked a little bit about Alzheimer's, but some of the other uh, uh, basically diseases of aging and these brain states that you can pick up when you're 20 or even when you're nine. Like, can, can you see these brain states and say, oh, someone with, with that disorder is likely to end up here 60 years later? Well, you probably know about the marshmallow test in four-year-olds. They did at Stanford. It's, uh, if I give you, you can have this marshmallow. So that's what they did with four-year-olds. You can have this marshmallow now. Or if you wait a few minutes, I'll give you two. So it's a frontal lobe function, right? Your ability to delay gratification and think ahead. The ones who were able to delay gratification had significantly more successful lives you know, 30, 40, 50 years later. There's another study at Stanford where uh, Lewis Terman evaluated 1,548 10-year-old children in 1921. And then researchers followed them for the next 90 years, looking at what went with success, health, and longevity. And it was just fascinating because it wasn't happiness. 
or a lack of worry. In fact, the don't worry, be happy people um, died the earliest from accidents and preventable illnesses. The people who lived the longest were the conscientious ones. You said you were going to show up and you show up consistently, reliably, predictably, you lived longer than everyone else. I, I wrote a post uh, a long time ago that that said something like, like it's possible to, to be so far in the land of the lotus eaters, you know, the, the kind of floaty yoga teacher, I'll show up whenever I show up and, and sort of like not really able to care for yourself, but kind of happy and floaty and, and generally happy. That's one side of the coin. The other side is like, I'm a robot. Everything is logic. And, you know, you can be on, on either side of those, but it's a challenge for people, especially in the world with all this technology and, and all sorts of media coming at you to sort of walk the middle line that says, okay, I don't want to be too much on the floaty side, but I don't want to be like too rigid and stressed all the time either. Are there tips or tricks that you've learned from scanning 100,000 brains in your whole career? How do you stay in that middle area where you consistently show up, but you still have time to meditate or take it easy or relax and have fun? Uh, but you're not so tightly wound that, that you're you know, always working, working, working and, and just too cerebral. So how, how do I stay in the middle? Well, I think the first thing you do is you really know who you are and what you want. So one of the exercises I do with almost all of my patients, virtually all of my patients, is, is I ask them, why do they care? Um, so why is your health important to you? And then we do an exercise called the one page miracle, which is on one piece of paper. I want you to write down what do you want in your relationships. So like with your spouse, with your children, with your family and friends, what do you want at work? What's your goals? What do you want with your money? And then what do you want with your physical, emotional, and spiritual health? What do you want? Uh, and, and I think it really starts with that because the brain makes happen what it sees, but if you never tell it what you want to see, it will make random things happen. So for example, I know I want a kind, caring, loving, supportive, passionate relationship with Tana, my wife, but I don't always feel that way. You know, I may feel ir irritated. I may feel overwhelmed from work. I mean, and but if I know that's my goal and I get that in front of my face on a regular basis, I'm much more likely to act toward her in a way that's going to bring her close to me. And so it's really having that definition and then um, and, and part of it is having fun, right? And being psychologically healthy. Although the longevity studies surprised uh, surprised people in a lot a lot of ways, the one with the Lewis Terman started in 1921, is the people who worked the hardest, who were passionate about what they did and successful, lived the longest. And so I don't know if you've ever been accused of being a workaholic. I've certainly been accused. <laughs> um, I'm okay with it because. We live longer, especially if our brains work right and we're successful at doing the deepest level of meaning and purpose. And, and that's the other thing, um, that the spiritual circle, you know, I often say when we evaluate people, we do it in four circles. So I want to know your biology. That's where the brain scans come in. 
but also your psychology, how do you think, your social circle, who do you hang out with, but, but it's the spiritual circle most psychiatrists actually never talk about. It's why do you care? What is your deepest sense of meaning and purpose? Because whenever I'm there, I am the happiest when I'm in the center of God's wealth, however you define that. I mean, uh, for me, when I'm in the center of doing that, I am the happiest I I've ever been. And uh, so it's not just about brain. It's not just about your thoughts. It's not just about who you hang out with. It's that deepest sense of meaning and purpose. And quite frankly, for me, I, I just, I don't have the patience to go sit on the floor and meditate for three weeks in <laughs> India. It's just, it's not me, right? I mean, I love meditation. We studied a 12 minute meditation that activates brain function, but I'd much rather be teaching. I'd much rather be creating, uh, you know, a new show for public television. And, and I think, you know, one of the secrets, brain health is critical. Brain health is the basis along with meaning and purpose. Uh, because not everybody who has a bad brain goes to jail. Not everybody with a bad brain does bad things. You gotta really understand how they think, who they hang out with, and what's their sense of meaning and purpose along with their brain. But when you put those four circles together, that's where you get health, meaning, and purpose. If you're walking around with a a subpar brain where you, you could be doing more and you're not because your biology is restricted. You're sort of, we worry about, you know, did you recycle that? Uh, you know, did, did we use the minimum amount of resources required? Like you're eating the same amount of food. You're breathing the same amount of air. You're consuming the same amount of fossil fuel and you're running at half your capacity. Like that wasted effort is actually more important than getting a car that gets three miles per gallon better mileage. Because for however much gas you're going to burn in your entire life, you might as well do something with it. And having a brain that's all the way on is going to let you do whatever it is you're going to do. And it, it just seems so wasteful to walk around kind of in a bit of a fog. And I say this because I did this for the first probably a good 25, 30 years of my life before I'm like, wait a minute. Like, like I'm struggling greatly and I'm getting not exactly the results I want. I'm getting results, but the amount of struggle, the amount of effort and the amount of just waste that went into that versus – aligning with your spiritual purpose or your sense of mission or sense of duty, whatever that is, getting the biology working, it, it's kind of the secret to kicking ass at whatever you want to do, at least in my life it has been. Well, it's, it's all of those circles, but without brain health, everything is harder. You know, I'm just thinking about this great story. You know, I live for the stories. Yeah. Uh, and there was a 15-year-old girl who tried to kill herself, and she'd spent time in a psychiatric hospital, um, which has all sorts of side effects to be in a psychiatric hospital. Um, she was cutting herself, uh, had eating challenges, and uh, her dad brought her to the clinic. And when I saw her, she had that same pattern you had, that when she tried to concentrate, her frontal lobe shut down rather than turned on. And she was actually in sort of a pressure cooker school uh, in Atlanta. And uh, I'm like, she's never going to be able to get close to her purpose unless I balance her brain. And once I treated her frontal lobes, um, she went from C's and D's, hating herself because she could never compete, never could get close yeah. to her potential, to all A's and B's. And um, 
and she just performed at a big event because uh, she's very musically inclined. And she was just a freaking star. And you think about where would her life be if I wouldn't have figured out her brain turns off when she's trying to turn it on. And she hated herself because she could never perform up to her standards, right? Her mom and dad just sort of thought she wasn't that smart. And so they never really put a lot of pressure on her to perform. But she put pressure on her to perform. And her, her life is radically different because she has a brain that works right along with meaning and purpose. So there are probably 100,000 people here this interview and more over time after that. If someone's sitting in their car, listening on a commuter, they're sitting at their desk in a cubicle, uh, listening to this, doing uh, whatever their, their work is, and they're thinking, all right, I, I want control of my own brain. I, I want to do this, uh, but I'm probably not going to get my insurance company, if they even have one, you know, to, to pay for a spec scan right now. Is there a, a way people can get started understanding what's going on in their brain before they make a decision to get uh, to get a full spec scan or to do some neurofeedback or just to do something more intensive but more expensive? Like, like how do you do this on the cheap? Because not everyone has a couple thousand dollars to spend. Well, you know, I've known about, I've thought about this for a long time. Not everybody can afford a scan. So based on thousands of scans, I develop questionnaires to help people yeah. predict what their scan uh, would look like. And one of the most exciting things I've done recently is Tana and I created a course uh, an online video course called The Brain Warrior's Way. Uh, and it's 14 hours where you can, uh, you know, if you like this information, you can really dive deeply uh, into the information. But in addition, uh, we'll test your brain. So we do a very sophisticated neuropsych assessment. So the same one you took when you oh, came that was cool. to the clinic uh, as part of uh, our community. So you can take it's called Web Neuro, uh, get scores on how your memory, uh, focus, attention, mood, stress, how you read faces. So uh, get a brain health score and then um, become part of our community where based on how you scored on that test, we'll actually give you very specific exercises in the form of fun games to optimize your weak area. And uh, we're really excited uh, about it. If people go to uh, Brain Warrior course, uh, they can uh, see, you know, we, we have some free videos there that you can watch. And if you like, you can sign up for the course and become part of our community. I mean, we're really excited. We want to create millions of Brain Warriors uh, because you're in war for the health of your brain. We want to teach you how to optimize it, get it as healthy as you can and then give it away to your kids, your uh, grandkids, the people you care about. I haven't done the full course, uh, but I've been a follower of your work for more than a decade, and I, I know you personally. <laughs> so I, I can, without reservation, recommend that if, if you like the stuff that I talked about on Bulletproof Radio, this is the kind of thing that is uh, that's going to be of value to you. So um, you and I don't have any business relationship uh, around this stuff. I'm just recommending this because people want to know what's going on. Uh, the web neuro thing that that's part of, of your program that I took was really interesting. Something I, I didn't know. Um, my ability to recognize emotion 
uh, in people's faces. It was, I think, as I recall, roughly average. But I was twice as fast at recognizing pissed off people, uh, ver like angry people versus happy people. Right? <laughs> and that could be because I, I dealt with a lot of bullying. When you're the tallest kid in school, all the small kids want to come and beat you up. And then you just have to like hold, put your face, on, put your hand on their face and they can't touch you after that. But like I was in a lot of fights with angry small people. And uh, <laughs> um, I wonder if that's why. I have no idea. There's, there's some brain reasons for that as well. But it's uh, it's fascinating just to, to have those little bits of self-awareness that you're unlikely to get even from a lifetime of meditation just from taking a little test. Um, when your first book came out, I, I read the stuff in there that talked about what well, this part of the brain makes you behave this way. And even back then, it was very accurate to be able to say, all right, what's going on? So the point of this is you don't have to go get a spec scan, uh, but that you can get a lot of awareness just by using statistics and science to, to basically backfill what's going on in your brain. And that does work. I'm, I'm quite certain of, of that. So, so th three ways to get in touch with us. Um, so people can clearly go to amenclinics.com and learn about our clinics and our work. And if you've been struggling, it's worth the investment because you have to ask yourself, what does it cost to have an ineffectively working brain? Um, divorce, incarceration, job failure, financial ruin. Um, so, you know, I really see it as an investment, but not everybody can afford it. So they could pick up one of my books, Healing ADD, um, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, which is coming out uh, in a revised version uh, this November. Um, or um, I just checked the URL. It's Brain Warriors Way course. So Brain Warriors with an S, Brain Warriors Way course.com. And learn about the course. We're always looking for ways to spread the message of brain health. Um, we have a free newsletter. Um, we just, our goal is to create a community of people who are serious about brain health, who uh, want to do everything they can to keep their brain healthy for as long as possible. Well, there's a final question before we wrap up this interview, and it's one that I've asked everyone on the, the podcast, and uh, one that I don't think you answered the first time you were on because we did it at the Bulletproof Conference when you were a speaker, but uh, you might answer differently anyway. And the question is, given all that you know, not just from, from your work, but also from your life, your top three recommendations, most important things for people who want to perform better throughout life. I, I can guess some of them, but, but just top three, that's all you get. What are they? Uh, number one is brain envy. Freud was wrong. It's not penis envy. He was too <laughs> low in your body. Uh, you got to care about it. And, you know, the 110,000 scans, I care about it. And, it's, and now you care about it because you're able to see it. So it's about caring about the three pounds of fat between your ears. Uh, the second thing is be very clear with yourself. What do you want? Why are you here? What's your deepest sense of meaning and purpose? Um, and the last thing, it's really simple. It's a game I play with my daughter since she was two. She's 11 now, and I call it Chloe's Game. It's no matter what I'm going to think, no matter what I'm going to do, no matter what I'm going to eat, is this good for my brain or bad for it? Ooh. All you have to do is answer that question you know if i go to her and i go avocado she goes two thumbs up god's butter if i say <laughs> blueberries she'll put her hands on her hips and she'll go well are they organic you know blueberries I love it. pesticides <laughs> and almost any fruit if they're organic two thumbs up god's candy 
If I say talking back to your redheaded mother, she'll go, oh, no, that's not good at all. <laughs> so it's just it's answering that simple question that will keep you on track. What a what a perfect answer, and I'm going to do that with my kids as well. Is it good for you, but good for your brain, or good good for for you know the physical parts of you is a very important distinction because it takes some of the judgment out of it and, and makes it more about control. Wow, brilliant, uh, Dr. Raymond. Thank you for your work. Thanks both personally for the the impact you've had on my life, but also just for taking the time to share this with uh, hundreds of thousands of people who are are going to hear this over time. So thanks for your work. Keep doing it. And uh, don't let the haters get you down because we know what's wrong with their brains. (laughs) Thanks, Dave. Always a joy to be with you. And I'm very grateful for your heart and your better brain and the work you do. We'll talk again soon. Take care. If you enjoyed today's show, there's something easy you can do. Go check out Dr. Amen's work. It is totally worth your time. It'll make you more bulletproof. It is completely solid research. and There's a lot of value in that. So go ahead and do that. And along the way, if you haven't already got it, check out the Bulletproof Diet book or buy one for a friend. I'm always looking to show the publishers that this was such a good book that I should come out with version two or version three. And click like on my podcast and click uh, leave positive reviews for Dr. Amen and just do good stuff. I appreciate it. Have an awesome day. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.